Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. My guests today are Nicola Gome and Jason Andrews, co-founders of Orbit, which provides state-of-the-art astronaut preparation across all types of vehicles, as well as luxury accommodations, dining, and recreation for future commercial astronauts, their friends and families, and other Orbit customers. And gentlemen, thanks for joining me on the Xterra podcast. Pleasure to be here with you, Tom. Thanks for having us. Orbit just had its first class of civilian astronaut trainees, and I guess it's kind of no coincidence that comes as we've had the Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, and SpaceX Inspiration4 flights. How did that go? Well, it went amazingly well, Tom. I mean, let's say it's really the year one of commercial space flights. So uh, indeed, the time the time is, is pretty exciting, and, and we see an amazingly growing uh, interest in commercial space flight, and these opportunities are only the beginning. So uh, a lot of very motivated uh, uh, people joined the, the, our first uh, session, which went amazingly well. And Jason, from your perspective, what, uh, what, did, you, what did you think? I think it exceeded our expectations. I mean, we, we started this company with a vision that while everybody else was building vehicles, we would focus on training and equipping the next generation of astronauts. And what we saw firsthand is just the excitement around the industry. And, you know, like what we like to present this as a try before you buy opportunity, you know, as an example, before you spend $400,000 on a blue or virgin flight, come to Orbit to see if you're, you know, inclined to enjoy spaceflight. And our customers did just that. And it was an awesome experience. I mean, this is the only opportunity out there to actually sample all different vehicles. You know, we, we, we educate you on space flight. We then allow you to do a virtual mission on a Blue Origin vehicle, a Virgin Galactic vehicle, Dragon with the cupola, and also on Starship. And, and it's just amazing because people, they've read about it, but they don't really understand the, the differences until you experience it firsthand. So they got a very um, real opportunity. I mean, some of our guests actually experienced the overview effect, even in virtual reality, which was super exciting. And then we give you the opportunity to then experience zero G and high G and all that's done in a three-day time frame. And there's just no other place where you can do that. And that's the benefit of Orbit is, you know, you can actually train to be an astronaut and decide if you want to go to the next step and the next step and the next step. So um, that's what we do. And, and that's what we delivered on the first outing. And it was awesome. How do you do, go, go, go ahead. Well, I want to add to what Jason said, which was perfectly capturing what, what we experienced really is also not only do we want to bring the best of the technical expertise, the best obviously experience with high level hospitality, we also want to give uh, in a way a, a deeper connection with a space journey, uh, a more spiritual one, you know, it, it is a, a life defining moment and we, we really take that super seriously. We're very passionate about space as probably a lot of your listeners and viewers are, but we really want to make sure that this, this uh, opportunity to go to space is, is not benign and it's something extremely uh, important in a life and we want to elevate uh, and prepare. And so whatever the experience you're going to have, will hopefully maximize the enjoyment and, and, the, and, the, and the feeling you will have going through that uh, of out of the ordinary uh, experience. 
I wanted to ask, because uh, Jason, something you said was, was interesting, how do you simulate all of those different spacecraft? Because I know that SpaceX and Blue Origin and such have not provided you with simulators that you can actually put people in. So how does that process work? Yeah, it, it was not a collaborative effort. We had to go and use commercially available media to uh, recreate these vehicles both on the outside and inside. And luckily there's a lot of public information out there, a lot of images, there's now a lot of video showing you know, from Inspiration4, but even before that on the NASA missions on what Dragon looks like on the inside. So it, it, it is our version of, of those vehicles, but I think it's also um, very real. And, and again, no one's put it in a virtual reality environment and then simulated these missions. So you're taking, um, that, that's part of what our expertise is, is the engineering behind this. We, we train you to be astronauts and we also understand these vehicles so we can prepare you properly for the journey. How did you conceive of Orbit? That's a great question. So, um, Nicholas and I, yeah, yeah. Nicholas and I started this journey a while ago and we came at it from two different, you know, angles. I'm I'm the son of a Boeing aerospace engineer. I've been in the industry my, my entire career, starting with Kistler Aerospace back in 1995 and started multiple companies with Andrews Space, Spaceflight, and Black Sky, and ultimately Spaceflight Industries. But I always had this passion for commercial human spaceflight, believing that was the future of where it was going. And Nicholas followed a different journey growing up in his family hotel and doing every job there was uh, there in a hospitality business. And he is also a serial entrepreneur. He started far more companies than I've started in tech and other space. Um, and, and our paths crossed in approximately 2015 uh, when one of his businesses, Space Cargo Unlimited, was looking at sending experiments into space. And my company, Spaceflight, specialized in launching small payloads cost-effectively. So we got to know each other, uh, but unfortunately we, we didn't do business because Nicholas had a requirement to bring his cargo back. I think everyone knows it today as high value uh, bottles of Petrus 2000 wine. We could, Spaceflight could launch them, but they couldn't recover them. And so we got to, to know each other, appreciate each other's uh, as, as entrepreneurs. And I think we had this shared passion for the future of space. Um, and so when we had the opportunity, we were both living in Seattle in 2018 and 19 timeframe and got together and talked about what was, what was next. And next is this future of commercial human spaceflight. And if we wanted to combine our, our joint passions, for me, it's, you know, putting things into space and ultimately people into space. And for Nicholas, it's the, you know, preparing people for the journey and the hospitality that comes along with that. So that, that's our origin story. And, and Nicholas can embellish on that. No, well said, Jason. You, you captured it all. I think it's really what, what we try to bridge. You know, mo most of these amazing companies building these vehicles are, are vehicle centric, and we really want to be people centric. Uh, and when you look at you know the experience, the journey ahead, it, it has to be the level of engineering excellence and passion that Jason is bringing to our to our team and our partnership. And I probably bring my own passion and my own journey into my space startup, but. Uh, indeed, as, as Jason said, all the, the, the foundational the passion I have for hospitality and service and, and really serving uh, experiences. And we will get to some of that a little bit later on, but I know you're both involved in other new space ventures. So talk a little bit about what else you're involved in. Nicholas, do you want to go? I, I, I can share that, uh, I, you know, you didn't allude to it, but I have this company called Space Cargo Unlimited, which, which is a, a 
really working on the in-space manufacturing opportunity. We believe that space has much to offer. And that's really a bounding pact between Jason and I. That's the passion that we have. But I, I've been starting this journey a, a few years back now to, uh, to help find solution and better products on earth. The one I've been focusing on is agriculture and specifically viticulture. And we've been growing uh, vine in, uh, on the ISS uh, by surviving the uh, absence of gravity, the gains, some better resilience to lesser stresses, namely the climate change related stresses. And to fund this, uh, let's say out of the ordinary research project, we did age these bottles of wine uh, and we're selling them to fund the future of that research. So it's actually uh, moving greatly. It's an exciting uh, journey in itself. And uh, this is actually Nicholas's second appearance on the Xterra podcast. We talked extensively about that uh, wine experiment uh, a few months ago. And I know that you did bring the wine back and you got it uncorked. And tell us how that turned out. <laughs> well, I, I, probably when, when Jason uh, and I have, have the fortune to open the... Uh, uh, our complex that we'll be announcing later this this year, this year or next early next year uh, in the U.S. We probably will have a, a nice opportunity to have on the wine menu of our of our restaurant one of these space wine bottles. So I invite you to come then, Tom, and we will be able to share with your listener gladly. But it is unique; it's different, and uh, funny enough, it's it's we don't really know why. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an amazing wine in itself, but it's it's very space made it very unique. And space made things very unique in general, but that is all also true for that wine. <laughs> and Jason, what about you? What else are you involved in? So I have several previous companies that I founded and many of them have exited. I started Andrew Space, co-founded it with my wife in 1999 and we were a small system integrator and then became a small satellite producer. Um, in 2010, because we had no way to launch these small satellites to space, I started Spaceflight which was uh, the first company to commercialize rideshare successfully. We, we didn't invent the concept, but we were the first to make it uh, commercially viable. And it allowed all these small satellite constellations to proliferate and ultimately led to the rise of all these micro launchers out there. Um, and then in 2013, I started a company called Black Sky, which was taking the satellites we were producing in Andrews Space and the launch services we had with Spaceflight and deploying our own constellation to look at the planet in real time, think Google Earth Live. In 2015, we rolled all those companies together to create Spaceflight Industries. And then in 2018, um, we did a joint venture with Talos Alenia Space and, and the satellite production company spun out to create Leo Stella, a, a leading small satellite producer here in the United States based in the Seattle area. Uh, Spaceflight, my, my second company was sold to Mitsui Corporation in 2019, maybe it was 20. Um, and then this, this past month, Black Sky went public via the SPAC process. So all my companies have exited. This is the only space company I'm working on at, at the moment. Uh, I'm a director for a small launch company. Uh, but other than that, I have some other ventures that are outside of the space industry, really focused on humanitarian needs and providing water and power to those who need it most. How different would your career path have been if there were the Virgin Orbits and Rocket Labs and those kinds of companies that are doing the small satellite launches now when you first got involved in that? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. So, I mean, Andrew Space was there in 2003, 4, and 5 when, when the micro launchers tried the first time. I mean, we uh, had a it's called a DARPA Falcon contract. It was Elon's first government contract for the Falcon 1 in 2004. So we were competitors way back in the day. Uh, so we've always been there watching these small satellite launchers go, but there wasn't a business plan that worked. 
um, you know, it was a chicken and the egg problem. Without the market demand, you couldn't justify the, the development of the launcher. And so it really wasn't until spaceflight came around and stimulated the demand for all these satellites. You know, we took it from buying a rocket for, at the time, 2010, $60 million was the cheapest rocket on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we would allow people to launch CubeSats for three, $400,000. And so we had this proliferation with Planet and Spire and all these companies you still hear about today, which created this demand, which allowed these small satellite launchers to come around in 2014 and 15. And they could finally have the market they could point to so that the VCs would give them money. So that, you know, if you, if you go back and look at the Rocket Labs and Fireflies and Astros, they all kind of popped up in the 14, 15, 16 timeframe. And it was really because of the market developed by a space flight. And, and we needed them at the time. In 2014, we were launching mostly on Russian rockets. And then Putin invaded Crimea and it shut off access to that supply. And we didn't have anywhere to go. So we bought a Falcon 9. Uh, which was a big audacious thing to do, especially in 2015. That vehicle was called Sunsynchronous uh, Express, you know, SSOA, and it flew in 2018. And now that's the model that everyone's using. SpaceX is using that model. And I'm excited that all these small launch vehicles are out there and starting to proliferate. So yeah, it would have been a lot easier, um, but it, it wouldn't have been possible at the same time. You know, I think this evolution was, was really important and necessary. Um, and I think that's where Nicholas and I feel like, okay, if the, the 2010 decade was about the small satellite revolution, the 2020 decade is really about the commercial human spaceflight revolution. And we're excited to be here and really about defining that category. Because again, while everyone else is focused on building vehicles, to your original question, no one's really focused on training and equipping this next generation of, of people who are going to go to space, either for pleasure or also for profession. And so we're really there. As, as Nicholas said, we're people-centric, we're experience-centric. We're there to make sure everyone is, is properly trained and equipped so that they have a very positive experience. And uh, that's what's pat- what we're passionate about. You can probably see that on this podcast and what we're excited to build here in the coming years. Which brings us very nicely back to present day. Let's talk about what all is involved. And you've touched on this, but let's go a little bit more in depth on what is involved in the training program. Yeah, well, we, I'll, I'll get maybe Jason go more into the details, but we really want to make sure we, we touch every aspect of, of the journey and certainly uh, understanding the, the various vehicle opportunities, understanding what it takes uh, physically, mentally to get, and then really touching key elements like how you feed yourself in space. Uh, but more, more profoundly, it's, it's also making sure we do something very tailored. Each of one of us has a different view of life, of, of uh, extreme experience. And as we, Jason and I said, you know, going to space is not a trivial uh, experience, even though it's been, uh, and we're excited about that, more accessible. Uh, there's still many obstacles, so it's important to know what is driving you. So also there's a lot of elements of coaching and support in the process. Now on more of the experience itself, maybe, maybe Jason, you can give a, a more depth to the, to the training itself. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone recognizes we've seen enough movies that you just don't get off the couch, strap into a rocket and go. At least you're not going to enjoy it. You might survive it. (laughs) And, you know, NASA has spent five, six decades defining what it takes to train astronauts to go to space. Um, And we're at this point where we have the European Space Agency, NASA, other space agencies, but they only train government employees. There's no one to train you know, commercial uh, astronauts, you know, general public. And I think we saw that with Inspiration4. That was the first time we actually had to go train 
people who were, were not at NASA astronauts. And so we are taking the best techniques that NASA has refined over those five decades and incorporating them into a commercial uh, spaceflight gateway complex and astronaut training complex. Um, the challenge is you know, NASA will spend two years training an astronaut before they fly. We have to condense that to a matter of weeks and months. Um, so we'll have the equipment that you would expect like a centrifuge to simulate hygiene environment. Uh, we will have medical clinics because we're there to make sure you go there safely and, and you're monitored along the way. Uh, as Nicholas talked about, we'll also take care of other things like your food and your culinary needs. Uh, what you eat in space is really important. What you eat you know, in your daily life is really important. So we're thinking holistically about everything that you're going to need to go there and building that into this facility, which as Nicholas described, we'll, we'll announce a little bit later here where it's going to be and, and what it will take. But it's going to be a full astronaut training complex. It's a place where you're going to go and train for you know, days. Uh, if it's a suborbital flight, weeks if it's an orbital flight, and, and ultimately months if you want to think about going to the moon and Mars someday here in the near future. Um, and you'll stay there and your family will visit you. And um, it, it's going to be really amazing. We're talking with Nicholas Gome and Jason Andrews, co-founders of the astronaut training company Orbit on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now and click subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of the podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Gentlemen, who is the primary market that you're targeting right now? So we are focused on people who are preparing to go to space whether they can afford to go there today or they have a dream of going there at some point in the future. Um, but where, as the current perception is only billionaires can go to space. And I think what we just saw last week with Inspiration4 is really anyone can go to space. You know, yes, it's gonna be expensive, but that price is gonna come down. So we're really there to train anyone, the general public, and, for, and offer the opportunity to experience astronaut training at any economic level that, that anyone can afford. You know, we're, we're there to prepare you if you want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars before you go spend millions of dollars. But if you also just want to, we think a lot of our customers will come and train, hoping they can go someday. And we also make our training facilities and experiences available to the general public. Maybe you can't afford a whole one-week package, but you can afford a four-hour high G experience or, you know, go and work on a spacesuit or go do a virtual reality mission simulation. So, when the facility opens, it's the place to go experience space at, at whatever level uh, suits, you know, your, your desire and your economic capabilities. Nicholas, anything to add to that? I know, Jason, named it perfectly. I mean, this is very important for us to be uh, open to anyone. We also want to make sure that we grow um, in, in multiple countries. We're obviously uh, starting in the U.S. That's where the, the commercial new space revolution is happening. But we also have a, a broad ambition to be able to open other uh, complex in multiple uh, geography around the world. Who is your pool of instructors? Well, we're very fortunate to have an amazing lead instructor, uh, Brianna Romes, plus a number of uh, very, very amazing uh, contributors. Uh, but we will really uh, make sure we have the most effective coaches, uh, the most knowledgeable uh, professionals and experts. Um, a few names you want to drop, uh, and I can share for the, the European ones, maybe less relevant to, to your US audience. So, uh, Jason, maybe you can share more about our upcoming training, which is going to happen uh, uh, early December in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. So, as Nicholas said, uh, Brianna Rums is our director of astronaut uh, training. 
Uh, she spent 12 years at NASTAR. NASTAR is, is where you go to train pilots for high G experience, hypoxia, and they've also, uh, using their centrifuge, have trained most of the astronauts that have gone to space commercially or will go to space. Uh, Inspiration4 trained there. Most of the Virgin um, passengers have trained there. She trained Richard Branson. Um, so it, it's great to have this deep capability, but you know we're also blessed to, to bring in existing astronauts, um, past and, and current, to share their experiences and knowledge about what it's like to go to space, what it's like to experience an overview effect, how to mentally prepare for very uncomfortable experiences. I mean, I think we all recognize that high G and zero G is something that we have no um, common knowledge of in our everyday life. So it, it is uncomfortable. And so it's a lot of preparing people, as Nicholas says, mentally physically and spiritually for this off-world adventure. And we're excited to unveil more uh, about who we have going forward. Our next opportunity to do astronaut orientation, this is the training, mission simulation, zero G and potentially high G. Um, our next session is the first weekend of December in Orlando, Florida, uh, based at the Four Seasons Resort. So it's a great opportunity to come down and experience it firsthand if people wanna learn more about what is Orbit and what we will be doing in the future. You've mentioned a couple of times the Inspiration4 mission, and quite honestly, the only criticism that I've heard that the crew had when they came back was about the bathroom facilities. Um, how do you guys address those kinds of issues in your training, and how do you manage those expectations? We're both laughing because that's one of the, our big discussion points. I mean, these initial flights in a small capsule, you're going to have to have a little bit of the right stuff, you know. These are, I think, the general public's, you know, you know, exploring what it was actually like during Apollo and, and to certainly the space shuttle to, to live and work in space. And I think for the next few years, that's going to be the challenge until we have bigger operational systems like Starship that come online, in which case it's not four people in a small capsule. You're going to have your own stateroom with potentially your own restroom and, and whatnot. So things will improve, but that's where training comes in. You know, I don't. We, we will put our trainees before they go into space in uh, team building and sometimes uncomfortable positions so that, you know, they train for it and they have that bathroom uh, experience, positive or negative, before they go to space so that when they go to space, it'll be routine and common day so that they'll enjoy it. Um, you know, I think we anticipated that personal needs is one of the biggest things that's been overlooked in, in human spaceflight because these were all government employees and test pilots and they were told just fine, you know, suck it up and get it done. But we recognize that these next generation of people, you know, you know, people who are not, who are used to a high level of comfort because they're all wealthy individuals are gonna be in some really uncomfortable situations. So that's one of the things that we're really focused on. On your website, it says, learn what it's like to live in space from VIP guest speakers and enjoy an unforgettable Michelin star culinary space food lab and dining event. So Nicholas, I think this is kind of more in your ballpark, but talk about this connection between food and space. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's everything that is related to uh, being a human uh, that, that in space is, is questioned. And as we really were very uh, dedicated to, to provide the best experience possible, we want to make sure that people that train with us have really a, a good appreciation of, of the complexity of some of the daily tasks or the obvious things you would do on Earth and really appreciate what is the best out there. You know, we always have a choice. And, and certainly uh, in the way you mentally prepare um, 
again, uh, food is a core component of our lives. It's the, the base of the Maslow pyramid. Um, so we had a chance to, um, to share um, what is the day-to-day day, day -day, uh, experience of eating on the space station with, with food from uh, the multiple agencies around the world. And all the uh, agencies have, have realized that, you know, good food is essential to morale and, and the, the balance, the psychological balance uh, of being in a confined environment and interact with others. So they have actually introduced a number of special uh, meals that will be, uh, you know, for special occasion for celebrations. Uh, we were very fortunate in talking about VIP guests to have the, the head of the French Space Agency uh, as one of our guests. And uh, he brought along with him the special uh, meals that are prepared by uh, three-star Michelin uh, chef uh, Alain Ducasse and his team, Ducasse Conseil. Uh, and they've been working for the past, uh, I think, more than a decade in, in making sure they would have... Um, food that would be both good and obviously uh, compatible with the constraints related to a life on the ISS. So we actually think we were the first civilian to uh, taste this food ever. Um, and we made a number of nice experiments comparing the food uh, as it was out of the can, uh, tasting the food, how it would be prepared on Earth, see the difference, understand how the food is processed in space, make sure you also uh, think about how you're going to maximize the enjoyment and really be practical about the way it's going to be uh, able to provide the fundamental needs of your body uh, and learn more about the body uh, of an astronaut in space. So I think it was a very defining moment and a very excellent experience with special VIP guests. But I will want to call out that we equally tried to the same on every aspect of our training. Uh, you know, we actually had this amazing zero-G flight, but we wanted to make sure it would be a more than just the mere physical experience Jason was referring to. So we were very fortunate to have uh, the, the actual trainer of uh, Thomas Pesquet, who's currently the ISS uh, captain, uh, the ESA astronaut. Uh, so she has, you know, more than uh, 15 years of training the ESA astronauts. So she came, take took time to answer our questions and really go deep up to the point she was our instructor on, aboard the uh, Zero-G flight. So she could be uh, with us all throughout the day. So these are the type of very special guests and very special moment we offer to our, to our, uh, our, our guests. I guess the, the concept most people have in their minds about food and space is applesauce in a bag um, that they're used to from Apollo and all the video that's been released by NASA. Well, by there's NASA. that too and we, we saw what it is and we could see it absolutely <laughs> but they're also more and more interesting and special thing and honestly as we go more into commercial space flight uh, these opportunities will, will, will grow. Uh, we also want to play a role in this and again we want to bring the best of uh, astronaut training and the best hospitality combined together. So that's, that's really something we're very passionate about too. We're getting a little short on time, gentlemen, and I wanna ask you both to respond to this question. And it's one that we ask all of our guests. Look out over the next 10 to 15 years and tell me from your perspective, what you see coming in space commerce. I mean, from my perspective, just watching the number, what has changed in the last 10 years and projecting that forward is, is really inspiring, you know, like I said, in 2010, the cheapest you know, rocket on the planet was $60 million. And it was impossible to get a small satellite to space. Look what's happened. You know, now, now launch is plentiful. The prices are coming down. And, and I think with the advent of these really large lift systems, you know, led by Starship, but then you also have Blue Origin, Relativity has plans. Obviously, NASA has their capabilities. You know, I think it's really going to open up what commerce can happen in low Earth orbit, but also 
finally, you know, commercial routine operations out into deeper space, you know, to, to destinations, whether it be the moon, you know, potentially Mars. And, and so we just are excited that this is going to be a huge, uh, literally a growth opportunity for everybody. I think we will, you know, Elon has always had this dream of making the species multi-planetary and, and permanent and a permanent capability. I think we'll get there. And we're just really excited to be play our part in this in preparing everybody for, for that off-world experience and that off-world commerce. You know, I, I alluded to it when we first started talking that we're training people who want to go to space both for pleasure and also profession. But we really believe in the next 10 to 20 years that more and more people are going to be work, living and working in space for a corporation. And so it's as much about training them uh, as it is about training people who are going to go there for the, the pleasure element and uh, the vacation element of it. And Nicholas? I think you know, Jason capture capture perfectly uh, what we feel we are, and we really share the same view. I think it's really, and all of us are very aware of that. This is a, such a unique moment of humans back in space. Uh, I would only add to what uh, Jason said that we have one home planet. We should take care of it deeply. Uh, we believe in the overview effect as a, as a defining moment to change your perspective. We believe that humans will greatly benefit from going to space for Earth. So that's just what I want to add. It's exciting, but let's take care of our homeward uh, very, very uh, carefully. Well, gentlemen, it's been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you both for appearing on the podcast, and I look forward to learning more as you get your facility up and operating and maybe coming down to Orlando and having a quick visit and meeting you in person. That'd be a lot of fun. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much, Tom. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. You can subscribe to the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and many other popular podcasting platforms. Be sure to click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss an episode of the podcast or any of our other videos. You can also get daily news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more to be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.